Good morning, church family. It's good to see your smiling faces, and those of you that aren't smiling, it's also good to see you too. Um, man, it's great to see you all again. It's great to be able to worship with you and to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Um, this morning, we're going to look at a small part of the Christmas story. Surprise. So if you would, uh, please get your Bibles out. And when I say get your Bibles out, I'm going to tell you this. I did not include the additional scriptures in the slide this morning like I normally do. I'm going to let you look them up yourself. So get your Bible out or your, your app out, and you can do some scrolling if you need to. Um, but I want to encourage you, keep your Bible or your app open so that you can read along with these passages uh, that we're going to be referencing. But for you kids and Matt, here are some bingo pictures uh, for you guys to find while I explain to your parents what the sermon is about today. Um, you're probably aware, friends, and Craig actually alluded to this, uh, that this time of year is very difficult for a lot of people. Uh, for some, it's a reminder of, of a very difficult past. Maybe they grew up in a situation that was far from ideal, or maybe they lost someone, uh, a loved one. And so they have a, a deep feeling of loss during this season. And for many others, it's a financial strain. You know, you're trying to figure out how best to pay for things that other people in your circle want but don't need and, and vice versa. And for nearly everyone, there's the added stress of, of the preparation for travel, or um, you know, maybe you're, uh, you're, you're having visitors come to your house, and so there's the stress involved with that. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, the wrapping, the frenzied buying, the decorating, all those things. And in the midst of all this, I think we often struggle to find peace in all of the chaos that's happening around us. And for those of us who are Christians, I think we probably even beat ourselves up occasionally because we, of all people, we know what Christmas is really about, right? And it frustrates us to realize how much we get caught up in the materialism and the machinations of the world that kind of, you know, come to the head during this season. And we want to, we want to honor the incarnation of God's Son. We want to honor the birth of Jesus Christ. When the Word became flesh, and so we get a little bit down on ourselves for not doing such a good job of that. I want to submit to you that we're not alone in this. Uh, there was one particular Christmas season that probably contained a whole lot more frustration and anxiety, but we see the hand of the Lord working beautifully all throughout. And so the premise today, brothers and sisters, is that we can have peace in the midst of chaos by trusting in the sovereignty of our Almighty God. And this isn't just during the Christmas season. It's all throughout the year. It's in, it's in any and every circumstance. So before we dive into our text, I want to remind everyone of what we learned from the first chapter of Luke and also the first chapter of Matthew about some of the events leading up to the birth of our Savior. So if you'll recall, there was a young woman named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph. And she's visited by an angel named Gabriel, which messenger of the Lord, uh, and he's, she's told that she would be giving birth to a baby despite being a virgin, which would be not only very confusing, but also extremely distressing in a society where cheating on your fiancé meant death. It was a, thank you very much, it was punishable by death. Well, then the angel also tells Mary her child is going to be called the son of the Most High God, and that he would save his people from their sins. So, you know, no pressure, right? 
How unprecedented. And yet, she immediately agrees to be a part of this, this great endeavor, to be God's instrument in the birth of the, of the Son of the Most High. That is some amazing faith. And then we also read about Joseph. You know, he, he discovers Mary is pregnant, but he knows the baby's not his. And so he swallows his pride and his grief, and he prepares to, to quietly break off the engagement so as not to have her put to death. But he receives a dream. And in this dream, the angel tells him, go ahead with the marriage because Jesus has been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And with shocking faith, he accepts that this dream is from the Lord, right? He goes along with the angel's command. And so in this story, in today's passage, the main what is the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which God in His sovereign will has determined was going to happen. I'm going to ask you this. Do you think there's anything in heaven or anything on earth that could have prevented God's will from happening here? Good. God's plan had already been determined and decreed, and so it was certain to come to pass. And, and see, guys, that, that's the big idea behind this message. It kind of bleeds over into every aspect of it, okay? God is sovereign, and we can take great comfort in that, amen? We can have peace in the midst of chaos because we know that He is in control. So before going any further, be encouraged that the what is in God's hands. The what is in God's hands, whatever that is, okay? Mary is trusting in God's what? That meant believing that, that everything would work out, even though she might be viewed as an adulteress. And for Joseph, trusting in, in God's what meant believing that God would do a physical impossibility. Because in case you didn't know, it's not something that can happen. Now don't miss the fact they didn't just believe. You know, around this time of year, we get a lot of these Christmas programs that talk about just believe, you know, just believe. Um, one of my favorite movies for, to watch this time of year is Elf, as ridiculous as that movie is. Um, but there's that scene where, you know, oh, oh we all have to sing to, to give the Santa enough Christmas spirit to be able to, do, 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 do. you know, it's so ridiculous. But you know what my favorite part of that movie is? This is not in my notes, by the way. Um, so, sorry. My favorite part of that movie and my dad told me about it before I ever even saw the movie, and then I went and watched it. I was like, oh, it's perfect. I don't like Will Ferrell 80% of the time. He's just not funny, but in Elf, he's great. And, and it's that scene where, uh, where the, the guy says, Santa's going to be here on, you know, next Saturday, whatever. He goes, oh! You know, he just freaks out. He's like, Santa, I know him. I know him. My dad said, that's how we ought to be about Jesus. I know him. Sometimes I'm in public and I hear people use Christ's name in vain. I'll be like, I know him. <laughs> they don't really get it typically, but, but you know, I mean, we know him. Anyway, back to the notes, okay, <laughs> or, or the manuscript. This is why I manuscript, just saying. Um, here's the thing. Their faith wasn't in faith. It wasn't just believe. Their faith had an object, okay? That's really important. They believed because God had given them his promise and they trusted that God does not lie. And see, why God, he, he didn't say, hey, this is going to be easy, but he has promised a specific outcome that his Messiah was going to come through them. And I believe that, that we can all resonate with this. We all have a what, you know, in our lives. Or maybe it's more accurate, 
you know, to say that, that God has a what for each of his people. And that involves each one of us. And, and like Mary and Joseph, we get to choose. Are we going to be fearful and anxious about it? Or can we trust that whatever he does is going to be for the good? And if we believe his word, there's only one viable choice, right? Because Romans tells us that he works all things for our good. And that's great news. Now, there's also some bad news. Usually when there's good news, there's bad news, all right? Here's some bad news. This promise doesn't apply to everyone. It only applies to those who fit a couple of criteria. You know what they are? <laughs> some of you do. Paul spells it out for us in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. If you don't love God, if you are not called according to His purpose, then things will not ultimately work out for your good, which is bad news. But there's more good news. What the Bible literally calls the good news, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and after three days the Father raised Him from the dead. And all of this was A, according to the Scriptures, and B, seen by eyewitnesses. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are one of those people for whom all things will ultimately work out for the good. That fits you. Even if the journey getting there is full of difficulty and suffering, it will work out for your good. So we could be uncertain about a lot of things, but we can also be certain that God will take care of the what because he will work out all things for our good. But we can also be certain that he will work out all things for his glory. Remember, God says His glory He will not give to another. And Scripture is very clear all throughout that everything God does displays an aspect of His character, whether it's in, in rewarding the faithful or punishing the unrepentant wicked or forgiving the broken sinner, the repentant wicked. In all things, He will be glorified. And it may be easier to see, you know, in Mary and Joseph's situation, because we're talking about the birth of the Savior here, but God is no less real. He is no less present in the lives of everyone who belongs to Him than He was with Mary and Joseph. He is with you. He is in you. If you are in Christ. We're going to be picking up now. Uh, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 if you haven't already. All right, We're going to be picking up at that point. Mary is in her third trimester. She's almost ready to give birth, and that's what we're going to pick up. Will you bow with me? Father, thank you for this day. I pray for each person here, Lord. I just ask in Jesus' name that you uh, help us to stay wide awake for this passage, Lord, and for the uh, just digging into it and seeing what you do. And I ask, Father, that you will help all of us to truly trust and love you because in your sovereignty you have declared from the beginning you have declared the end. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to believe that and to be faithful this season and, and every season in life. Help your, your word to take root and bear fruit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so beginning of verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. There's, there's a little color here, okay? Caesar Augustus was the greatest empire or uh, greatest emperor that ever ruled the Roman Empire. The, the empire was the greatest under him than it, it probably was at any other time. It was under his reign that God probably most prepared Israel and the whole Roman world 
for the spread of the gospel. And it's, it's a genius move on God's part. Uh, we're going to talk about that some other time. But, but for now, um, let's see if anybody knows this. What does it mean to be registered? Counted, right. Basically, it was a census. But it required families to travel to, to the man of the family's birthplace in order to be counted. What was the world back then? Right, it was anything that was within the Roman Empire. We, we would call it the known world at the time. If you were a part of, of civilization, then you were part of the world, okay? So everything under the influence of the Roman Empire uh, was to be registered. And this was the first registration, he says, uh, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, th this little passage has been treated as problematic because secular Roman uh, records refer to Quirinius as ruling later. They say in, in 6 to 12 A.D., which, by the way, A.D. is Anno Domini. It means the year of our Lord. It's not after death um, because it's supposed to be from the point Jesus was born. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, and that was after Herod the Great had died. But here's the thing. It's not a problem because Quirinius was actually one of four different men that took turns governing Syria when Herod the Great was alive from about 6 to 4 B.C., and so because of this, Bible scholars place the actual date of Christ's birth around 5 B.C. Ironically, there is no such thing as before Christ. Hopefully you know that. He was with God in the beginning, and he was God, right, according to John 1. So uh, before Christ is simply a phrase that we use. We're talking about before the incarnation, but he was probably born about 5 B.C. Also not a problem, because people came up with B.C. and A.D., we did that based on estimated guesswork. In fact, the first time you see a recorded instance of the phrase B.C. was a monk, and this was back in the 8th century. So the calendar could be a little off. That's okay. That doesn't, shouldn't change your faith any. Uh, anyway, all went to be registered each to his own town. Now, this census, as well as the second one, which took place over a decade later, uh, it was a pretty monumental event in ancient history. This is a big deal. In other words, in order to be counted, several million people had to travel to wherever the man of the family had been born. And this becomes very important later on in the story. But for now, we're just going to back up and we're going to remind ourselves of the glorious event that's about to take place in the middle of this gigantic, inconvenient relocation of people. Okay? God's Christ is going to be born. And he's going to be born in, in a way that fulfills prophecy because, see, God did something really cool, not for the first time. He used a human ruler to bring about his will. You know, he did that with Nebuchadnezzar. He did it later with Cyrus. This time with Caesar Augustus. It's not, it's not all that surprising when we consider that Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is like a water course in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I personally find that very comforting because I ask God fairly frequently, for the hearts of those in authority of this nation to be changed. I ask the Lord to convict them to repent of their wickedness and return to a godly way. But anyway, back to Luke. God uses the emperor's census to move the entire known world just to make Jesus' birth happen a certain way. And this is also a reminder that not just the what, but the how is in God's hands. The how is in God's hands. And by that I mean in his perfect wisdom, he knows the best way to bring about his will. Now, of course, most of us, most of us here are not going to see something as, as spectacular as a virgin conception, okay? Probably none of us in here are going to see that. But, but that, doesn't, 
That doesn't mean that God isn't actively at work in your circumstances, wherever you are now, whatever you're doing, you're, whatever part of life you're in at the moment, God is at work in those things. I'd say he's absolutely active in our lives. But he's also doing things sometimes that, that, that we're often completely clueless about. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we're all, we have no idea what he's doing a lot of times. But that, the fact is, God is not constrained by our ignorance. <laughs> In fact, he's not constrained by anything except his own character and will. And so he works however he chooses, and nothing can prevent what God determines. And we know this all throughout Scripture, but if you go to Isaiah 46, I'm going to give you just a second if you want to flip there and read this. In Isaiah 46, there's this passage where God explicitly states this, okay? Starting in verse 9. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. No one can stop God from accomplishing his purpose. We're not that powerful. He's going to do what he's going to do. Now, that's scary if we don't trust him. But if we do, it is the saving grace to our peace. If we can trust that he is good and that he works all things for our good, so we can know and believe, even if something comes up that makes life incredibly difficult or inconvenient, like traveling 90 miles on foot when you're nine months pregnant, it still falls within the scope of God's will. We can trust that. But there's more to this. We're going to get there, so just bear with me. We'll go to verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Bethlehem means house of bread, if I recall correctly. Y'all, there, there, there's really, there's a lot here. There's so much packed into this little chunk, but... I want to draw your attention to, to the fact this couple, okay, Mary and Joseph are a great example of the fact that like the what and the how, the who is also in God's hands. The who is in God's hands. You know, Joseph and Mary, uh, why were they chosen by God? I mean, we know from the scriptures they both had faith. That's clear. Luke reveals the depth of Mary's trust and obedience in God, and he reveals that, that she was a virgin. That's reminiscent of Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, I love that. So good. And then Matthew goes so far as to call Joseph a righteous man, okay? And he's, he's, the, he's the guy the Lord chose to be the stepfather of the only eternally perfect human being to ever walk the face of the earth. But he was also from the line of King David. And it was through that family line the Lord promised the Messiah was going to come. So, so, so long story short, God chose Mary and Joseph for that specific purpose. Let's remember, we are talking about a sovereign God. He didn't have to flip through a file cabinet, you know, trying to find the right pair. He created them for this. He provided their circumstances. He, he molded their faithful hearts and he fulfilled his promise that had been determined from eternity past to save his people from their sins. 
Therefore, friend, if you're a believer in Jesus, here's something awesome for you to think about. God's plans have always included you. You. Specifically, you. I want you to consider this. How how can an all-knowing, sovereign God do anything by chance? Scripture tells us those who are in Christ Jesus have been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? Let's look at that passage. Turning your Bibles, please, to Ephesians 1. I want you to just flip or scroll there. Ephesians 1. After a beautiful introduction, Paul makes the statement that, that crushes any doubt about the assurance of God's love. Starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Guys, the implications here are inescapable. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God got you there. And He's not going to let anything change His mind, okay? You've always been part of the plan because He declares the end from the beginning. And I personally am grateful for this passage because I'm one of those who that's in God's hands, just as you are if you're in Christ. But there's still more this passage teaches us. If we're looking... Here in the text, we see several places mentioned in conjunction um, with Joseph, several different physical locations. Why do you think that is? Church, I think it's a reminder that it's not just the who and the what and the when. It, the where is also in God's hands. The where is in God's hands too, because nearly every place mentioned here is a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, Isaiah 9 tells us the people in Galilee have seen a great light. You know, uh, Isaiah 11 refers to, in fact, Matthew kind of quotes from Isaiah 11, although he takes, it, he takes it and changes the word netzer in Greek, which means uh, a branch. He says, he shall be called a Nazarene. Matthew, Matthew uh, has 20 some odd prophecies he mentions. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, gospel. He's written it to the Jews, and there's 20 some odd Old Testament prophecies that he refers back to. Anyway, Micah 5.2 promises that a ruler would come out of Jerusalem, excuse me, out of Bethlehem, and he makes this really amazing statement, one whose origins are of old or are of ancient times. So God was able to fulfill all three prophecies about Galilee, about Nazarene, about, uh, about Bethlehem, all of these prophecies in one dude. How? By being in charge of the where. And the who and everything leading up to that, I think this can be very comforting to us. I mean, do you ever ask yourself, uh, why am I in this place that I am? Not just McKinney, Texas or Crossroad Christian Church. I mean, you might ask yourself, why am I in the middle of a stressful job or in a, a stressful period of unemployment? 
Or why am I in a difficult marriage? Or, or why hasn't life gone the way I expected it to? Do you think it's an accident that you ended up there? Honestly, I don't feel like I heard from enough people on that. Do you think it's an accident that you ended up where you are? No. Do you believe he places us wherever he wants and he uses us where he puts us? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. There's this line in the book of Esther that hints at the sovereignty of God, despite not using his name. It's a really interesting, you know, like Esther doesn't really mention God, but you see him working all through the book. And I, I want to say it's uh, chapter 414, but um, there's this grave threat to God's people. And so Esther's cousin Mordecai tells her, he says, maybe you were put here for such a time as this. You remember that? God gave her this, this very specific prominence in a, in a kingdom where she's technically, she's in exile, right? And provided this opportunity for her to be his instrument and save the lives of thousands of people. We may not get to see evidence quite that strong in our own walks, you know, granted, but, but it, it's not wrong to insist that God's sovereignty means he put you where you are for a reason. Your location, your circumstances are not an accident. God, I promise you, folks, God is either teaching you something or he is using you to teach someone else or both. He will glorify himself and it will work for your good. I'm going to pick up a verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Again, not convenient, right? And she gave birth to her firstborn, excuse me, her firstborn son, uh, indicating there were others, which Scripture plainly teaches later, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Question. Did they have to spend the night in a stable putting their baby in a manger because God slipped up? No. I saw this meme. It's Mary and Joseph, and, and he's saying, I'm sorry, honey, I thought I'd made reservations. And she's like, this is the real meaning behind Silent Night. <laughs> uh, it, anyway, ridiculous. But God didn't make a mistake. God didn't go, oh, I forgot to call. You know, uh, what, I almost said Bed Bath & Beyond. What is it, the other thing? The VRBO, what? Airbnb, that's the thing. Thank you very much. Um, back to the manuscript. Okay, so... Um, no, he, he, didn't, he didn't forget. This was exactly his plan all along. Because just like what, how, who, and where, the when is in God's hands. And, and I'm not guessing that this part of the journey was very encouraging for Mary and Joseph. I bet it was pretty discouraging, right? Do you think maybe they were wondering what in the world God was doing but not even giving them a real room for his own son? By causing Mary to, to go into labor during such a busy phase of this registration trip. And yet we know this was not an accident. It wasn't a surprise to God because his timing is perfect. There's a famous passage in Ecclesiastes. If you'd like to turn there, it, it's in chapter 3, verse 1. You probably know the song by the birds. Some of you remember the birds. Some of you remember when they were created. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you folks that were alive in the 60s and alert probably remember this song. To everything, there is a season 
that the Hebrew literally means appointed time and a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, if we accept this as true, it should be incredibly comforting to us. And I'm going to admit, I'm one of the worst people in the whole wide world about this because in theory, I accept that God's timing is right. And yet in practice, and, and Shannon can probably amen this, I get so irritable when I think something shouldn't happen within a certain time frame. If I'm working on something and I, and I can't get that, that part to go into that piece or whatever, I just lose it. It's embarrassing. It, you know, if I'm running late because I run late and I'm behind somebody going too slow, I get irritable. And that's not based in faith. Matter of fact, it's a sin. Go read Respectable Sins. I'm telling you, totally worth it. Jerry Bridges, go read it. Anyway, sorry, back to this. It shows a, a certain, it shows a lack of trust in God's timing when we get irritable, okay? If you're annoyed that God hasn't fixed something in your life yet, you should ask yourself, what aspect of God are you doubting? I mean, if you don't trust his timing, are you showing a lack of, of, uh, of trust maybe in his wisdom or in his power or in his goodness? These are the only real options. All of the above? You know, if I were Joseph and I were trying to take care of this hugely pregnant mama that's suddenly in labor and our only choice of accommodations was a stable in a cave, I'd be tempted to question God's timing. You would too. I might even ask him the question, why? Why is this happening? In this way, it doesn't make sense. Friends, be encouraged by this. The Bible tells us even the why is in God's hands. Think about it. Jesus could have been born anywhere. You know, like, like maybe a place befitting a king, right? A palace. You know, let alone the king of the universe. He could have had every earthly comfort at birth attended by physicians, and instead he's laid in a feed trough and attended by livestock. His parents could have been pampered royalty, but instead they were poor folks from a backwater town. From a human perspective, this all seems like a really bizarre choice for God. But from the Lord's perspective, it was absolutely perfect. I think if we're, if we're all honest with ourselves, we have to admit that trusting God's why is probably harder than the rest. But if we believe what Scripture teaches us, then we have to accept two things. First, that his ways are unsearchable. Meaning we can't wrap our tiny, finite brains around the things that he does. It just won't make sense to us. You know, in Romans eleven thirty three, 33, Paul praises the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, adding how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. That means we can't even figure it out. It's interesting, the very thing that God is being given glory by Paul about, this inscrutability, this very thing is what seems to discourage us most today. Paul's praising God for it, and we're over here complaining about it. Doesn't that seem a little wrong? A little unbalanced? Maybe the problem isn't on God's end. Maybe the problem is with us. 
Maybe it's in our camp. Perhaps we need to recognize that we're not always going to grasp the why on this side of the veil, and, and we should be okay with that. And after all, the, the Bible tells us, God himself says his thoughts and his ways are as high above ours are, right? As the heavens are above the earth. So instead of being discouraged, let's take comfort in the second thing the Bible tells us, okay? We may not understand the why behind the things that our Heavenly Father either allows or causes because everything that happens, God either allows it or causes it, okay? So when we try to fathom the why behind these things, we can know this. He is faithful. God is faithful. All throughout the scriptures, we're reminded of God's faithfulness to his character, his faithfulness to his promises to his people. And so think about it. If God is so good that he is willing to sacrifice his son to save his enemies from hell, can we trust him? Yes. Can we believe that he knows better than we do? Yeah, I think so. All things happen according to plans that, that we can't comprehend, but he is, he is orchestrating the events to bring about the best for us and for his glory. I think we can trust him. He's faithful to do that. Now, it's hard. Honestly, we're seeing one of the greatest societies in recorded history just disintegrating before our eyes. And it's discouraging. You know, transvestism is being marketed to children as a positive example. You know, there's places having Christmas drag queen shows. That's sick. Those two things shouldn't be in the same sentence. And you know, many mainstream denominations have embraced perversion and wokeism instead of biblical righteousness and justice. And we're quick to point the fingers at everywhere else, but we forget materialism and worldly entertainment have become such commonplace idols that many of us Christians, we don't even recognize it in our own lives. But there is hope for us. There is hope for us, and it's not in our nation, and it's not in our political identity, and it's not in our neighborhood. It's in Jesus Christ. Our hope left his throne and lay in a manger. He left the perfection of heaven to become one of us. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I believe, is the greatest miracle that's ever occurred, ever. More amazing than the creation of the, the, the whole cosmos from nothing, that God became one of us. So remember that. Remember that he is our hope. And as you go through this season, remember God's sovereignty and what he did by sending his son. That's a far greater sign of God's goodness and his wisdom and his power than anything around us is a sign that he's not on the throne. Because guess what? We see things that, that might lead us to go the wrong direction, but the fact is, Scripture teaches it, and we know it in our hearts. God is on the throne. He is sovereign. So let his peace permeate you this season. Now this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to confess 
faith in him. If, if you believe for the first time today, confess your faith in him and be baptized. His word commands it. And if you've already done that and you're like, you know what? I, I'm just, I'm backsliding and I, I need somebody to pray for me. Hey, we're happy to pray for you. If you feel that, that the Lord is, is leading you to, to join this congregation and to say, I, I want to place membership here, do that. Just don't, don't let this opportunity pass you by. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, listen to him. And friends, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I thank you for this group of people, for this wonderful church body. Uh, just consistently, I'm, I'm grateful for them. I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit being at work and the things that we're getting to see. I ask, Father, that uh, as we go through this week, do you help us to love others? Help us to be the kind of example for others that brings them to an understanding of who Jesus is. Help us to reflect his character. Help us to show kindness and love to others. Help us to speak truth in love, Father. Help us to have discernment to know uh, what to say and when. And God, we ask that you give us uh, a deeper sense of love because of what Jesus did for us. Help us to see it and to be so, so thankful that you sent your son to live 33 years here in this world and to die on a cross for our sins and that you raised him from the dead, proving that everything he said was absolutely 100% true. And it's in his name, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.